0: it up to you live on the Buffalo Rumbling Vidcast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan. Where's Nick Geary? Well, anyway, this is Food for Thought, a show combining two of your three favorite F-words. That's right, food and football. The third one is the flamenco, the dance, because it's going to be a little bit of a weird dance for me tonight because Mr. Geary is not here. But the show must go on. And this show and all other shows on the Buffalo Rumblings VidCast Network are proudly presented to you by Picasso's Pizza. Treat yourself to the most flavorful pizza on game day, Picasso's. We are Buffalo Pizza. Shipping locally and nationwide at Picasso'sPizza.net. You know, eventually I'm going to get a complex. Because it keeps leaving me alone for like social things. And I'm like, well, I don't have any social things. When am I going to h- hang out with somebody? As a side note, wearing a sweatshirt in the studio was a terrible, terrible idea. Because at some point, I'm going to have to take this off during the show. And being able to take it off without breaking train of thought or taking a gigantic pause in the middle. That's going to be quite the challenge, but we are going to get through it. We have people in the comments section with me already. Spin 0481 is here and asks about the Buffalo Bills red and blue scrimmage. Is it a normal practice or is it in front of fans more like a scrimmage? He says it is more like a scrimmage. Historically, Richard Rush is here, says evening fam. Jason Humbert is here. Guys, it is good to have everybody here. A reminder. That today's show, the Food for Thought show, the Food for Thought exclusive, I guess, because, you know, it's just Bruce exclusively here, is brought to you by Genesee Brewing Company. Since 1878, Genesee has poured generations of brewing knowledge into each pint, can, and bottle of their beer. They make no sacrifices when it comes to their beer, brewing each with the highest quality ingredients for a consistently great drinking experience. Look for Genesee beer, Genesee light, cream ale. And their specialty lines with beers like Ruby Red Kolsch and Oktoberfest, Genesee Brewery, Rochester, New York. Ladies and gentlemen, I just took off a sweatshirt while doing that ad read. That's right. It's gonna be a good night. It's gonna be a real good night. A reminder that any super chat greater than seven, uh, greater than ten dollars gets a Genesee Brewery pint glass. Make sure you're following at Nate Geary Sports, at Bruce Exclusive, and at Genesee Brewery and DM Nate for proof. Of the super chat, and he will get you your glass. Guys, we're going to talk about food worth throwing down for tonight. Food worth throwing down for. Food that is worth fighting over. Because if there's one thing that people who are part of Food Twitter like to do, it is fight. They like to fight for their right to party food. They want to make sure that everybody in the world knows that they believe strongly in their food takes and they're willing to go to bat for them. Why? Because fights have been a topic of conversation across the NFL. So I want to talk about foods worth throwing down for. So what is a food take? If you're here with me in the comments section, what is a food take that you're willing to fight over? And I'm going to go first. I am willing to fight over this food take. I am willing to come to blows with the idea that In-N-Out is overrated. That's right. I'm willing to fight over that. I'm willing to fight over In-N-Out being overrated. You know, a couple years ago, my wife and I went to Las Vegas for the first time. And I was so excited because I don't really want to go to Vegas, but I do want to try new food. And one of the places that I was absolutely told was necessary to have when I was out west was have In-N-Out. Now, I had spent some meaningful time on the west coast previously in my life, but I had never had In-N-Out. So there was an In-N-Out not far from the hotel we stayed at in Vegas. Close enough we could walk to it. And so we had In-N-Out. And I got to be honest, it was one of the more disappointing culinary experiences of my life. And I just couldn't get over it. And every time I have this argument with somebody else, inevitably what they'll say is, well, what, what, what what burgers do you like? First off, if you're not able to fight the burger war on its own merits, then I'm not entirely sure how strong your argument is. They said, well, what do you like? I said, well, you know, I like five guys. I like Shake Shack. Oh, five guys. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I want not pay $30 for a hamburger. <laughs> I got you. $30 for a hamburger. Okay, that's cool. Great. But you're not arguing goodness now. You're arguing value. That you're doing. You're arguing value. You're arguing that it's cheaper. You're not actually arguing it's better. So are we really fighting about quality of food? Because it sounds to me like you're fighting over Mass quantity of food for cheap, which is that's great. Let's just go ahead and throw ramen noodles in while we're at it. Let's let's talk about ramen. Let's talk about any other really cheap college food kit movie. Let's sorry, food. Let's talk about Cece's Pizza buffets while we're at it. Let's go. Let's do it because that seems to be the argument that we're having. I am willing to 100% fight over the concept that in and out is one of the most overrated foods I have ever had in my entire life. But that's not really what we're here to talk about today. We're just here to break the ice with that. It's an icebreaker. And so, for me, for me, today is about the beginning of preseason football. That's the thing I really want to talk about. I want to talk about the Hall of Fame game. I want to talk about lessons. I want to talk about things we can pay attention to when we are watching preseason football. And there's two things specifically I want to talk about. Because one of the things that is interesting about preseason football is nobody really knows what matters. Everyone's trying to extract information from what they see in a preseason game. But because they don't really know what matters, you could extract way too much. You could extract way too little. You're just sitting there going, I'm watching this game. And I can see the what's. I can see the plays developing in front of me, but the whys and the hows are so incredibly disconnected from the what's that I can't make sense of them. I don't know what to make. I don't know how to interpret the football that is happening in front of my face. I see these things happening. I see passes being thrown. I see routes being run. There are people blocking. Someone's carrying the ball. Touchdowns are being scored. But I don't know what any of it means. And so... The first and most important thing that I care about when it comes to preseason football is not getting hurt. I know it sounds lame. I know it sounds predictable. I am nothing if not lame and predictable. And it is just getting out healthy. Every year, there are multiple skill position players who are starters. There are multiple linemen who are starters who get injured and go down And not only destroy your fantasy team, but also really significantly hamper their team's ability to get accomplished what they want to get accomplished. And so, the number one thing for preseason football is just staying healthy. But second most important thing, and the thing that I pay attention to the most in the preseason, is who is playing with who? When Josh Jacobs started playing and got a reasonable amount of run on the first and second series of the Las Vegas Raiders game last night, the internet kind of raised a collective eyebrow because there were lots of players that the Raiders didn't want to play because they deemed them too important to play in a superfluous preseason game, an extra one. Josh Jacobs was not deemed that important, along with the other reports that you have gotten out of Raiders camp this year, it looks like Josh Jacobs is not going to be the bell cow that you thought he was going to be before Josh McDaniels got hired. If you did not like the way the Patriots rotated their running backs, I have bad news for you about what the Raiders are going to do. So, who is playing with who matters. Because if you are still in the game in the fourth quarter of the final preseason game that's not good it might give you an opportunity for an AJ McCarron like magical comeback because we all remember that being fun but it usually doesn't speak highly about your ability to make the team so who is playing with whom that matters Spin 0481 says preseason is all about position battles. It is about position battles. But we have historically seen and consistently seen that people who put up better stat lines in preseason games oftentimes don't win the position battle because coaches care a lot about practice and we can't interpret practice the same way that they can. So yeah, preseason matters. I do believe that preseason games helped win Tyrod Taylor, The Quarterback battle in Buffalo. Nate Peterman had one of the best preseasons I've ever seen. One of the best preseasons you could possibly have. So yeah, it matters. But there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that has more weight. It's just not as visible. So the most visible evidence isn't necessarily the evidence that has the most weight when it comes to these decisions. But it's the most visible for us. So that's what preseason does. It drives narratives. It drives narratives because of how easy it is to see. You're sitting there watching practice film that only shows up in public practices, which are not all that common. You're trying to dissect certain players, certain plays, but there it is in all of its glory preseason football. You can see every play, every player. There's all 22 of preseason football. Ladies and gentlemen, I am going to be watching a little over a week from now. I will be watching all 22 of preseason football. That, my friends, is good evaluation. Now, might not mean anything in the long run, but it's so obvious. It's so there. It's so in your face. It's so available to us that we wait it more than we probably should because there's a bunch of stuff we can't see and so what we did was we just block it out in our minds we block out the stuff we can't see as if it doesn't exist so we start putting all the weight on the preseason stuff when it comes to position battles if james cook comes out and has a couple big wrong long runs and some great catches There will be people who are pounding the table for James Cook to be the starting running back. How do I know this? Because Christian Wade was a thing. That's how I know this. It's what we do. Because we can't see the stuff the coaches see. So we take the things we can see and we extrapolate them out to its entirety. It becomes all about the preseason games because we can't make it Partially about the preseason games. And we can't make it partially about the preseason games because we can't see the rest of the picture. So the Hall of Fame game was fun for me. I enjoyed watching real football, but it kind of made me feel like I was Iron Man. So the food simile for tonight is that the Hall of Fame game made me feel like I was Iron Man. Why? Bruce, why do you feel like Iron Man? When Iron Man gets done being held hostage, In the desert, he comes back and he says he wants an American cheeseburger and he gets Burger King. He's been in the desert. He comes back, he says he wants a cheeseburger and they give the man Burger King. Now in that moment, it was probably the greatest cheeseburger he's ever had in his entire freaking life because it was the first burger he'd had in months and he was famished. And he's never tasted a Burger King so sweet. But it's still Burger King. That's the way Hall of Fame game made me feel. We have been out in the wilderness. We have been in the desert. We have been held hostage by baseball for the last couple of months. We've sat there and had baseball. And now here we are. We got football. But it's kind of not really the football we wanted. It's kind of the Burger King of football. It's not the best football in the world. I like Burger King. I've had Burger King. But it's not the best burger. So for me, the Hall of Fame game made me feel like Iron Man. I don't necessarily mean that in the best possible way. So we talked about preseason football. We talked about foods worth throwing down for. We're going to talk about AFC East changes this offseason. We're going to recalibrate on where our division foes currently find themselves. We're going to go through some of the most meaningful changes that have happened to the division's teams. And we're going to kind of talk about it. And we're going to start with the New Jersey Jets. At the end of last season, one of the big narratives around the Jets was Zach Wilson. Makes sense. Can the quarterback take a step forward? Zach Wilson was objectively one of the worst quarterbacks in football last year. But because he's a rookie, everyone says, well, he's a rookie. Everyone says, well, look what happened with Josh Allen. That's going to be something for the next, I don't know, 20 years. We're just now getting to the spot where we stop saying, well, Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. We just now getting to that. That was over 20 years ago. So buckle up, guys. We got a lot of, well, Josh Allen's coming. So Jack Wilson was not very good. But second, in a very close second, was that Robert Saleh, defensive genius, had one of the worst defenses in the NFL. At one point, they were, on pass to have, they were on pace to have the worst defense in the history of football from a scoring standpoint. They were terrible. Pass defense, absolutely horrible. Just awful. And specifically, it was the secondary. Well, they made adjustments there. They brought in Sauce Gardner. They drafted him high, who has, by all appearances, been just what they thought he was going to be. They brought in DJ Reed from the Seahawks. Two new starting corners for the Jets. They upgraded in that area. Tight ends, completely new tight ends. CJ Zoma, Tyler Conklin, Jeremy Ruckert. You might say they went a little overboard, actually, on tight ends. They probably went a little farther than they needed to go on tight ends. Because I like Jeremy Ruckert, but I don't see what his path is to playing time. At wide receiver, they already had a very good young player in Elijah Moore. They already had Corey Davis. They doubled down, tripled down, went out and got Garrett Wilson. They said, listen, we are going to isolate the variable, For Zach Wilson. We are going to make sure that Zach Wilson has everything he needs to be spectacular. Jeremy, Super Chat. Bruce, you and Nate should go to Beef and Barrel in Olean. Thank you so much for the pronunciation by there, Jeremy. New York. And order the Beef on Weck with a German potato salad. Take Ryan Talbot with you. It will definitely beat In-N-Out Burger. First off, Jeremy, you are consistently involved sending me emails, being in food for thought. I cannot possibly thank you enough for the super chat. And I'm absolutely going to do this. I think that maybe, how far is Olean, someone in the the comment section, how far is Olean from like actual Buffalo? Like downtown Buffalo? Is it something where if I went to Nate, who owes me lobster, and I said, listen, at Jeremy's suggestion, we are going to sub lobster in for beef and barrel in Olean. Can I do that? Sal says, Kelly's corner. I've been to Kelly's corner. I had the beef on whack right there. I enjoyed it. I went there with Nate. We did a sports talk Saturday a couple years ago, and then we drove over there and we met, gosh, who do we meet over there? I cannot remember who we met there for beef on whack. And we had gigantic chicken fingers and it was delightful. It was everything that you thought it could be and more. I think perhaps it was, it was John Scott. That's who it was. It was John Scott. Met him there and at John Scott TV, by the way, on Twitter. And we went ahead hour 10 or so to Olean. and he said, okay, so maybe we can make it happen. Maybe we can make it happen. But thank you, Jeremy wonderful idea. Thank you so much. The super chat. Thank you for being a part of this. I really, 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 really appreciate it. 75 miles South of Buffalo. Okay. So if I happen to come in from the South, then maybe we can meet there. That's what we'll do. We'll do that. I'm just going to write it down, Jeremy. So I'm just going to, I'm going to do it right now because it's really, really, really good content. If I'm sitting here writing something down when y'all are talking to me. So that's really good beef and barrel in Olean. All right, man. I made a note. We're good to go. So, back to the Jets. But, 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 back to the Jets. So, I went through cornerbacks. I went through tight end. I went through wide receiver. Let's not forget that the apple of a lot of Bills Mafia's eyes was Brees Hall going into the draft. If you were not going to be able to draft a corner in the first round like I was pounding the table for, has consistent have consistently been pounding the table for, for years, then they wanted a running back. And specifically, they wanted Brees Hall. Well, not only did the Bills not get Brees Hall, the rival got Brees Hall. Now, I said before, trading up for Brees Hall in the second round, when you have a player that I really like in the Jets, you know, I I didn't really understand why Michael Carter needed to be replaced, personally. (laughs) I thought Michael Carter was really good. And I was... Super disappointed for Michael Carter when they drafted Brees Hall because I was like, okay, well, I guess they're, I mean, I understand they had him really high ranked and they traded up, but man, I would have liked to have seen what Michael Carter could do as a bell cow in that offense. But now it's going to be, it's going to be Brees Hall, I guess. So that's an addition. That's a meaningful addition. So the Jets tried to do two things with their offseason. They wanted to fix and plug the hole that they've viewed as being the most serious, which was pass defense with two corners. Remember, they're getting help on their defensive line because their prized free agent signing from last year is coming off an injury. Still have Quentin and Williams. And then they wanted to isolate the variable on offense when it comes to skill positions. Now you can make an argument they probably should have invested in a tackle. We still don't know what Minkai Becton is going to be, but it matters. All of this stuff matters. So they decided that they were going to pull a 2017 Buffalo Bills, where the Buffalo Bills went out and invested seriously in the offense. They got Cole Beasley. They got John Brown. They invested in the offensive line. They said, we need to get Josh Allen help. Well, they did. I don't think you can ask for a whole lot better from the Jets. Yeah, I wish I would have invested in tackle if I'm a Jets fan. But they clearly went in with two things on their mind. Number one, plug the hole. Number two, isolate the variable. And they did. Moving along. The Miami Dolphins. The team that it feels like. I don't know. Maybe you guys can correct me in the comment section if I'm wrong. But does it feel like to you that the Dolphins... Fans have been more chirpy than the rest of the place, the rest of the AFC East. It just feels like they're more chirpy. I don't know. It feels like the Dolphins are more of a rival, which is hilarious because the Patriots are the ones who are in the running for the division championship. They're the ones that the Bills beat in the first round of playoffs. But for some reason, it feels like the Dolphins have been more chirpy. And I think it has to do with the biggest splash acquisition, which is the trade for Tyreek Hill. But that wasn't the only thing that they did. They added Cedric Wilson. They signed Taron Armstead. They signed Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert at running back. They drafted Channing Tyndall. They as well are trying to isolate the variable. I would think that the Miami Dolphins, as far as going about getting problems solved, were one step below the Jets. So the Jets, I think, solved two problems. The Dolphins, I think, solved one. Now, both of them solved the biggest problem, which was isolate the variable. Make sure that if the quarterback fails, the quarterback fails because of the quarterback. Not because of anything else. And Trey Hardy, by the way, you said wasn't 19 the first year? Yes, it absolutely was. I don't know why I said 17. I, I actually wrote down 19 in my notes right here. And I think my 7 looked like a 9. Oh, I think my 9 looked like a 7, rather. So, yes, that's the absolutely 19. Richard Rush says, Finns are acting like they won the East. Yeah, you got you to gotta go through Josh Allen first, ladies and gentlemen. Got to go through Josh Allen first. But for me, the Finns accomplished the isolating of the variable, but they didn't plug any of the other meaningful holes. Now, to be fair, they didn't have as many meaningful holes as the Jets did. They were a better team than the Jets last year. But the Jets accomplished more. I think they accomplished two goals. The Miami Dolphins accomplished one. If Tua fails this year, there isn't going to be an outcry from anyone reasonable that says, goodness gracious, we just didn't give him enough help. You have Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill as your wide receivers. No, 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 sir. You hired an alleged offensive genius as your new head coach. No, 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 sir. No more pawning this off on Brian Flores anymore. No more pawning it off on not having help. If Tua fails, it's a Tua issue. And that's what they want. That's what they want to do. They want to alleviate those issues. And I think they did. You have a good enough supporting cast around Tua to properly develop him and to properly evaluate him. Now, we all know they would have preferred to not properly evaluate him. They would have preferred to bring in Tom Brady because Stephen Ross wants to win a ship. So, yeah. They absolutely got plan B. Plan B, Mike McDaniel and Tua Tagovailoa, plan A, Tom Brady and Sean Payton. And you're going to get your wrist slaps. Steve says, "What do you mean if Tua fails? You mean when, right?" Well, I personally don't think he's going to turn out to be a really good quarterback, but I'm also not arrogant enough to speak in certainties about football. I just don't. I I'm not a hot take artist. I would say it's highly probable that the Finns are looking for an upgrade at quarterback the next offseason. That's what I would say. But I'm not ready to say something like, yeah, he will, he won't. We've seen improbable stuff all the time. For goodness sake, I call Josh Allen, Josh Allen the improbable. That is literally the nickname for him. And the reason that is, is because every reasonable data point indicated that it was highly unlikely Josh Allen was going to take a year three jump. Year three jumps aren't a thing. Guess what? Now everyone thinks they're a thing. Now Jalen Hurts is going to take a year three jump and Tua is going to take a year three jump. Everyone's going to take a year three jump. Two years ago, we were arguing how that wasn't a thing. It was like Drew Brees. That's it. Donovan McNabb took a jump when they got Terrell Owens. That was it. Jessica says Tom Brady next year. Maybe. Or maybe they just kind of blew their chance at that. The tampering just kind of blew it up. Maybe. I don't know. But I do know that they have created a situation where it's it's okay to evaluate Tua. I think it was probably reasonable to evaluate him last year. But there was enough excuses last year. The Changeli offense. Being hurt twice. Having your voice go out in the middle of a podcast. Oh, no, that's not two. That's just me. And that brings us to the New England Patriots. So the Jets accomplished two goals. The Miami Dolphins accomplished one. I don't think the New England Patriots accomplished any meaningful goals this offseason. I think most of the improvement that you were hoping to see if you are a Patriots fan comes from the improvement that you are hoping to see from Mac Jones And the improvement you're hoping to see from offensive skill position players. Tyquan Thornton getting drafted, see what you can do. Ramondre Stevenson. You know, those things right there, that's what you're hanging your hat on. Because Devontae Parker may have been your most significant offseason addition if you're a New England Patriots fan. And you lost, in my opinion, the best player on your offense, which is Shaq Mason. You traded him for a fifth. Now, you drafted Cole Strange to re- replace him. Cole Strange could be a perfectly fine player. But I don't think the Patriots accomplished any meaningful goals. How much faster did they get on defense? A lot faster? I don't know. Made a trade. Brought in a new linebacker. I don't know. Is Mac Wilson that dude? I don't think Mac Wilson's that dude. So the Jets accomplished two goals, the Dolphins accomplished one, and I don't think the Patriots accomplished any. Now, this is important. The more things you have to check off the list, the more capable you are of checking things off the list. The worse team you are, the easier it is to improve. So the Patriots were the best of these three teams last year. They have the least things to improve on. They have the fewest things to cross off the list. The Jets were the worst team of this group. They had the most things to check off the list. So for me, it's easy to say after sitting here that the Jets cross two things. The Dolphins cross off one thing and the Patriots cross off zero zero things. But it's a lot easier for the Jets to cross off stuff. And it's a lot harder for the Patriots to cross off stuff. So make sure to pay attention to that. We are going to go to a mailbag. And we I was so excited to do this with Nate. And it just, you know, he's going to be really sorry that he missed this. Really, really sorry that he missed this. And ironically enough, this email is from Jeremy, who I just gave credit to for being a part of this. He says, Bruce, given all the news lately about the billion-dollar lottery jackpot, which has been won, by the way, I thought I would pull a culinary jackpot scenario to the show. You and Nate enter the culinary Mega Millions drawing and you win. Congratulations. You may choose one of two prizes. Prize one, you receive $5 million tax-free. However, in consideration for the money, you must eat the same meals every day for the rest of your life. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can pick whatever meals you want, but that's what you get forever. So for instance, if you want bacon, eggs, and wheat toast for breakfast, you're eating that until you die. If you deviate from the plan, you must immediately repay $5 million. That's the first prize. The second prize is you can eat whatever you want for the rest of your life. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, snacks, go nuts. The cost of the private chef, food and equipment, will be covered by the lottery, and you receive no money. Which do you choose? I am taking the money. I am taking the money because I already pretty much have prize two, aside from the cost. My wife is an unbelievable cook, and I've said before that I have way too much faith in my wife's cooking. There isn't a thing I've ever seen on television where I haven't thought to myself, "Ah, Mrs. Nolan can do that. She could totally do that. Every time I see something on television, I'll look to my wife and I'm like, hey, what do you think? She's like, okay, I'll put it on the list. Bruce is doing that thing again. Or he expect? But you know what? Scoreboard. Every time she nails it. I'm taking option one, five million tax-free. I'm quitting my job. I'll enjoy my life with my wife and I'll pick three of my favorite meals and I'll have them every single day and I'll be fine with it because I love food. But I get time. I get time. Spin says yes, but you still have to have your wife cook the same thing every, I know. But what I'm saying is I already live. I already live option number two. I live in prize number two right now. So, I love quitting my job. I would love staying home. Now, I can find three things that I could have every day for the rest of my life. I could do it. And this is important. You specified me. You didn't specify my wife. So my wife can still have pizza if she wants. And I can go with, you know, cheese steak, steak, chicken, whatever it is. And I'm going to go. So for me, that's where I stand. That's where I stand on this food for thought mailbag. And we're going to finish up. We're going to wrap it up by talking about winners and losers. You were wondering, Trey, if we were going to talk about Deshaun Watson. We are going to talk about the Deshaun Watson thing. Winners and losers from this week in the NFL. If you've got winners and losers, go ahead and and throw it in the comments section. Go ahead and throw it in the comments section. We'll get winners and losers this week. My winner this week is Deontay Johnson. For the exact same reason, my winner was DK Metcalf. Always get your money before there's uncertainty at quarterback. Now, Deontay might be less of a winner than DK because Deontay is going from the old remains, the decrepit remains of Ben Roethlisberger to either Mason Rudolph or Kenny Pickett or Mitch Trubisky. Can it really get a whole lot worse than 2021 Ben Roethlisberger? He wasn't very good. But DK Metcalf is going from Russell Wilson to Geno Smith. So I know that's a massive drop-off. The Steelers might be a drop-off. Might be an upgrade. But always, always, always get your money before your market takes a hit. Not only that, he got a nice short deal. So he can hit the market again. I understand it's under market, but it's also really short. He's betting on himself. Betting on the fact that if things don't go well, if Kenny Pickett isn't the dude, then he's good. You compare that to the contract length of Stefan Diggs's contract. He does not have to worry about it. He's got Josh Allen throwing the ball. But when you don't have that certainty at quarterback, you probably want a shorter deal. Well, if your market tanks, you have a chance to recover. My loser for the week is Deshaun Watson. Makes sense? Makes complete sense. He thought he was out of the woods. Six game suspension was generally considered to be very light. And the NFL said, yeah, now we're good. We're going to try something a little bit more. At this point, it's looking like maybe the best case scenario, if you're Deshaun Watson, is 10 games and a really heavy fine, which is a lot different. Because one of the things that the NFL looked at with this situation said, From a monetary standpoint, he's really not losing anything. He's lost some PR, but he hasn't lost anything money-wise when it comes to his contract. He had a small base salary this year anyway. He got paid for last year when he sat out. It just doesn't feel like the punishment fits what the allegations were against him. So that's where the fine comes in. They want to make sure that the contract that he signed with the Browns doesn't minimize his financial hit. They want to make sure that the punishment's there. There is a certain amount of punishment factor when it comes to stuff. It's not necessarily about justice. Sometimes it's about punitive damages. It's about making an example. And it seems like the NFL wants to be a little bit more punitive when it comes to Deshaun Watson, they wanted to hurt a little bit more. Yes, he had to pay off the lawsuits. He had to settle with some of these people. But as far as his actual earnings, the contract wasn't really affected that much. So there's a level of punitive damages to this stuff that now all of a sudden come into play because the object of a fine is on the table. Big, big, big L for Deshaun Watson this week. Thought maybe you were out of the woods. Thought maybe it was six games. Now, best case scenario might be 10. The NFL might just go ahead and say, no, we're going to do an indefinite with the ability to reinstate after one year. Then he'll sue him. It's going to be a big mess. If you thought it was over, it's not over. And if you're Deshaun Watson, the fact that the NFL didn't want it to be over enough to let it go is bad for you. The fact that the NFL didn't want it to be wrapped up and just want it to go away so much that they let it slide that they said, okay, you know what? Six games is fine. We don't want to undermine the person that we appointed jointly to oversee these things. We don't want to undermine their first major decision. We just kind of want it to go away. We want to fade to the background. The best way the NFL probably thinks to make it fade for the background is just put them on ice for a year. So, biggest loser, Deshaun Watson, because it's not over. And the NFL didn't want it to be over enough to let six games just be it. Biggest loser, Deshaun Watson. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. 40 minutes of just you, just me, and just Jessica saying public relations nightmare. Darn straight, Jessica. You are 100% correct. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking time out of your Friday evening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was fun for you. And most importantly, I hope you didn't leave hungry.